Talkspace.com. Feeling better starts with a single message. Support for individual therapy for me. Couples therapy for us. Teens ages 13 to 17. Psychiatry medication management. Talkspace accepts insurance rated number one. Online therapy. Million, one million users. Employee stress. Check report. What's behind the great resignation? Read the results of this year's survey. Introducing more flexibility. Learn about how Talkspace updated their line sessions formats for better format to serve better serve you. Mental health checkup. Take a short online test to get answers about your mental health. How Talkspace works. Brief assessment. Answer a few questions about your preferences. Pick your therapist and select from a list of recommendations. Start therapy. Begin the journey toward a happier you. Benefits of Talkspace. Eliminate commute time and scheduling hassles. Flex some plans to meet your needs and lifestyles. Seamlessly switch therapists and at no extra cost. Save money while receiving high quality care. Ready to get started. Talkspace offers comprehensive online mental health treatment options to meet all your needs via video, messaging, or phone. Online therapy, ongoing support from a licensed therapist, couples therapy, relationship-centered therapy that connects you and your partner, teen therapy, specialized therapy for ages 13 to 17, psychiatry evaluations, and psychiatric medication management, more than 60,000 five-star reviews, licensed providers providing a range of specialists to meet your specific needs. In areas like depression, relationships, anxiety, and stress, managing LGBTQIA, chronic illness, eating disorders, anger management, childhood abuse, mood disorders, old trauma and grief, substance abuse, family conflict, and much more. Get matched today. Talk space versus face-to-face therapy. 80% found talk space to be as effective or more effective than traditional therapy. 98% found that talk space to be more convenient than traditional therapy. And and talk space for business, talk space for partners with employers. <coughs> talk space partners, employers, health plans, and schools to make mental health care more available and affordable. Morning here is Chapter 9 of Laura Ingalls Wilder's The Long Winter, titled Three Days Blizzard. When Laura's eyes opened in the morning, she saw that every clenched nail in the roof overhead was furry white with frost. Thick frost covered every window pane to its very top. The daylight was still and dim inside the stout walls that kept out the howling blizzard. Carrie was awake too. She peeked anxiously at Laura from under the quilt on the bed by the slope pipe where she and Grace slept. She blew out it. She blew out of breath to see how cold it was, even close to the slip on her breath felt white in the air, but that house was so well built that not one bit of snow had driven through the walls or the roof. Laura was stiff and sore and so was Carrie, but the morning had come and they must get up. Sliding out of bed into the cold that took her breath away, Laura snatched up her dress and she was in a hurry to the top of the stairs. Mom, can we dress down there? She called, thankful for the warm, long red blouse under her front and nightgown. Yes, pause at the table, Ma answered. The cook stove was warming the kitchen and the lamplight made it seem even warmer. Laura put on her petticoats and dress and shoes, then she brought down her sister's clothes and warmed them and carried Grace's toes, wraps, and quilts. They were all dressed and washed when Paul came in with the 
milk half frozen in the pail. After he caught his breath and melted the frost and snow from his mustaches, he said, Well, the hard winter's begun. Why, Charles, Ma said, it isn't like you to worry about winter weather. I'm not worried, Pa replied, but it's going to be a hard winter. Well, for this, said Ma, we are here in town where we can get what we need from the store, even in the store. There would be no more school till the weather was over. So after the housework was done, Laura and Carrie and Mary studied lessons and settled down to school while Ma read to them. Once she looked up and re-listened and said it was, it sounds like a regular three days blizzard. Then there won't be any more school this week, said Laura. She wondered what Mary and Minnie were doing. Their front room was so warm that the cross on the windows had melted a little and turned to ice. When she breathed on it to clear her pupils, she could see against the glass the blank white swirling snow. She could not even see Fuller's hardware store across the street where Pa had gone to sit by the stove and talk with the other men. Up the street past Cass's house hardware store, Cass's hardware store, and the Bisley Hotel and Barker's grocery Royal Wilder's feed, feed store was dark and cold. No one would come to buy feed in that store. So Royal did not keep up with the fire, keep up the fire and the heaters. But the back room where he and Amon were back batching were warm and cozy and Almanzo was frying pancakes. Royal had to agree that not even mother could bear Amonzo making not, not, not even mother could bear Amonzo to beat Ma Amonzo Royal had to agree that not even mother could beat Amonzo at making pancakes. Back in New York State where there where they were boys and later on father's big farm in Minnesota, they had never thought of cooking was women's work. But since they had come west to take up a homestead clearance, they had to cook or starve. And Amanda had to do the cooking because he was handy at almost anything, and also because he was younger than Roy, who still thought that he was the boss. When he came west, Amanda was 19 years old, but that was a secret because he had taken a homestead claim, and according to law, a man must be 21 years old to do that. Amanda did not consider that he was breaking the law, and he knew he was not cheating on the government. Still, anyone who knew that he was 19 years old could take his claim away from him. Monza looked at it this way. The government wanted his land settled and Uncle Sam would give a farm to any man who had, who had the nerve and muscle to come out here and break the sod and stick to the job until it was done. But the politicians were far away and Washington could not notice the settlers, so they must make rules to regulate them and one rule was that a homesteader must be 21 years old. None of the rules worked as they were intended to. Monson knew that men were making good wedges by, by filing claims that fitted all the legal rules and then handing over the land <coughs> to the rich man who paid their wages. Everyone men were stealing the land and, accord, and doing it according to all the rules. But of all the homesteaders law, Monson thought that was the most foolish. Amanda thought that the most foolish law was a law about a settler's age. Anybody who anybody knew that two, no two men were alike, you could measure cloth with a yardstick or distance by miles, but you could not lump men together and measure them by any rule. Brains of character did not depend on anything but the man himself. Six, some men did not leave the set, some men did not have the sense of sixty that some had at sixteen. <coughs> and Amanda considered that he was as good any day as any man 21 years old. 
Amonso's father thought so too. Penn had the right to keep his sons at work for him until they were 21 years old, but Amonso's father had put his boys to work early and trained them well. Amonso had learned to save money before he was 10, and he was doing a man's work at the farm since he was 9. When he was 17, his father had judged that he was a man and had given him his own free time. Amonzo had worked for 50 cents a day and saved money to buy seed and tools. He had raised wheat on shares in Western Minnesota and made a good He considered that he was as good a settler as the government and could want and that his age had nothing to do with it. So he had said to the land agent, you can put me down as one. The agent had winked at him and done it. Amonzo had his own homestead claim now and the seed wheat for next year that he had from Minnesota and if he could stick it up on these prairies and raise crops for four years more, he would have his own farm. He was making pancakes not because Royal could boss him anymore, but because Royal could not make good pancakes and Amonzo loved light fluffy buckwheat pancakes with plenty of molasses. <coughs> we had listened to that, Royal said. They had never heard anything like that blizzard. The old Indian knew what he was talking about, said Amonzo. If we're in for seven months of this, the three pancakes on the griddle were holding their bubbles with tiny holes near their crisping edges. He flipped them over neatly and watched their brown patterned sides rise in the middle. We could smell them mixed with the good smells fried salt pork and boiling coffee. The room was warm and the lamp with its tin reflected hung on the nail lighted it strongly settles and bits of harness hung on the rough board walls. The bed in the one corner and the table was drawn up to the stove hearth so the monster could put the pancakes on the white ironstone plates without moving one step. This can't last seven months, that's what Dicker said, well, we're bound to have some good spells of a good weather. The monster part early. Anything can happen and most usually does. He slid his knife under the edges of the pancakes. They were done, and he flipped them onto Royal's plate and greased the griddle again with pork brine. Royal poured molasses over the cakes. One thing can't happen. He said, "We can't stick it out here until spring unless they keep the trains running." Almost, Amonzo poured three more rounds of powder from the batter pitcher onto the sizzling griddle. He last gets a warm partition by the stove pipe waiting for the cakes to rise. We figured on hauling in more hay, he said. We've got plenty of dry food for our team. Oh, they'll get the trains through, we're all said eating. But if they didn't, we'd be up against it. How about the coal and kerosene and flour sugar, for that matter? How long would my stock of feed last if the whole town came filing in here to buy it? I'll straighten up. Say, he exclaimed, nobody's going to forget. Nobody's going to get my seed wheat, no matter what happens. Nothing's going to happen, Royal said. Whoever heard of stores lasting seven months, they'll get the trains running again. They better send a mother turning the pancakes. The thought of the old Indian and he looked at his sacks of seed wheat. They were stacked along the end of the room and some were under the some were under the bed. The seed wheat did not belong to Royal, it belonged to him. He had raised it in Minnesota. He had plowed and harrowed the ground and sowed the grain. He had cut it and bound it, threshed it and sucked it and hauled it a hundred miles in his wagon. If storms like this delayed the transfer that no more food came from the east until after sowing time, his crop for next year, his homestead would depend on his having the seed wheat to sow. He would not sell it for any money. He, it was seed that made crops you could not 
you cannot sell some a dollar. I'm not going to sell so much as a peck of my seed, he said. All right, all right, nobody's bothering your wheat. Well, answered, how about some pancakes? This makes 21, Alonzo said, putting them on Royal's plate. How many did you eat while I was doing the chores, Royal asked. I didn't count them, Alonzo grinned, but gosh, I'm working up an appetite feeding you. So as long as we keep on eating, we don't have to warm the, wash the dishes, said Royal. Thanks for listening to this chapter of Laura Ingalls Wilder's Long Winter. Have a good week and stay safe.